All right, we're going to continue in our sermon series called Habits, and we're going to jump in right where we were last week. But in case you weren't here to hear it last week, I want to say something about the series. So it's a little different than we've done before at Family Bible Church. If you've been here, you probably know that. You've probably seen that. Some folks said, that yeah, was different, and other folks said, not really. Um, okay, I'm not trying to be different, but it might be different. We're taking a real practical look at habits and change and what that looks like in our life practically. And so we talked about last week uh, looking back while moving forward and kind of the danger in that and always being rearward focusing instead of where we're heading, right? That's kind of obvious, but we don't think about that very often. And then uh, and this week we're going to pick up on the kind of heels of that with the first week. And again, now I hate to put you off, but we're going to wait one more week, and I swear we're getting to practical habit stuff, right? But we got to do one more big rock in place before we move on to the practicality of habits. And so today, uh, we're going to talk about that. I want to say this. Thanks to anyone who responded to my email this week. I want you to know someone said, I didn't respond because you sent it to everybody. Well, guess what? Everybody that responded, I responded back to, okay? So that's really me writing the email. I really wrote it to you. I really wanted you to read it, and I really was hoping you would respond to it. Pastoral guilt. I'm just saying. I know easier for me than you, right? But I wrote that letter to you, that note to you, and I want to know what you thought. Now, here's the thing, right? If you didn't write back, it's not too late. Somebody said, oh, I meant to do it. I didn't get it done yet. I'm like, guess what? Email's great. You can write back at any point in time. By the way, for those of you who wrote, what great insights and what great wisdom you have. I was so encouraged. By the way, I was encouraged by people who said, man, I've tried and failed. And I'm tried and it's not gone well. Praise God for that kind of honesty. I feel that same way so many times. And so hopefully you're encouraged. That's what this series is about, is the practicality of change in our lives and what that really looks like. We're going to do what we always do at Family Bible Church. We're going to start with prayer because we believe nothing worth, of worth is accomplished without prayer. And so if you would join me in prayer. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity we've had to come to get today and worship you. We thank you for the chance that we've had to um, gather together and to remember again the great songs of your people. And for some of us, it started in the shower, and some of us, it started when we got here. Maybe some of us, it'll, it'll drag on when we go home. But Father, we pray that we would become worshipers of you, acknowledgers of who you are, and that you would change us. And Father, if there are brothers and sisters, there are friends here today who maybe don't sense your closeness yet, they don't know you intimately yet, I pray that this morning we might be open to you knowing us, and we might be more open to knowing you, that we'd be drawn to you. Father, we ask for your wisdom, we have none of our own, and we ask for your Holy Spirit's guidance and teaching, because your, your word says you love to give wisdom, we ask for it, and so we ask for your wisdom. And your word says that you are our intercessor and you are changing us. Um, you're with us, our paraclete, with us in the Holy Spirit. So, Father, we invite fully as we can your Spirit's presence today to teach us and guide us in the good news of Jesus Christ. Teach us whatever you want us to know. We pray it in his name. Amen. Awesome. So, so last week, um, we kind of shared a bunch of stuff about the danger of looking back, looking forward, and my own struggles with goals and with habits, right? And we talked about that a little bit. But I want to pick up on something I said last week, and it, it kind of came to me this week as I was prepping, but this idea that I said one thing that worked for me was I, I had written down at one point, in, in five years, I will be dot, 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 right? I wrote that down. And so I thought we would do a little group experiment this morning. I told you this is an interactive series, yeah? And so hopefully when you got here, there was a note card on your chair, a couple more on the floor already this morning I saw. If there's not on your, there's probably one next to you. Go ahead and pick it up and put it in your hand. When you have it, I want you to hold it up for a second. I will have you know we spared no expense. These are the finest note cards $1.50 can buy, right? You're worth every penny, I promise. 
And I'm going to ask you to go ahead with me this morning, and I'm going to ask you to write um, on the top of it, and we're going to write that word. Um, well, let me, I'm gonna, I wrote it down. I don't want to forget here. Um, let's see. Where do I see myself in five years? Oh, you did my thing. Perfect. Perfect. Who doesn't have a pen? Awesome. Right over here. I was going to throw pens from the front, and my wife stole. Oh, thanks, Christopher. That's what I'm, anybody need a pen? Sean? Stephanie, it's always a good idea. Look, it's always a good idea. She didn't die. It was a pen. Anybody else need a pen? They're coming around. Brittany Anders in the back. Oh. It's not my fault. She's in a sound booth. I couldn't make it that far. Oh, I can need a pen too, right? <laughs> Where I will be in five years, okay? And, but don't fill it out yet. Don't fill it out. Don't answer the question. Or you can write, I, in, in five years, I will be, if you like a sentence structure, in five years, I will be dot, dot, dot. Just write that down. But don't write down your answer yet. I know some of you guys are wanting to write the answer already. Uh, just hold, hold, hold on that for a minute. Awesome. I, I want to uh, say that we are going to get the habits in weeks three and four. I promise you that, right? But I, I want you to check out this quick video. How I identify myself determines how I approach life. One of the things we're talking about, and it should be, if you've got an engagement sheet this morning, it should be on the bottom. It says, who before do, right? Who before do. It's kind of, uh, you know, cheeky a little bit, but, and it's rhymy. <laughs> but it's like we have to figure out who we are before we decide what we're going to do, hmm, wait a minute. We have to figure out who we want to be before we decide what we want to do. At some level, I know right now you're thinking, well, obviously, duh, we all know that. But how many of us try to do things when we don't know what we're trying to be, who we're trying to be? Maybe we do things because we see someone else doing it. Maybe we do things because we're, we're functioning out of some hurt of our own, but we're reacting, right, in the world. But we need something that would give us a longer-term vision of who we are so that we can decide then what we should do. The fundamental question of our lives in many ways is, who am I? Or here's a future tense of that question, who am I supposed to be? You see, actually, a lot of the culture wars that we see happening right now in our, in our, in our country in particular is that very question, who am I and who am I supposed to be? Who am I and who am I made to be? And if we don't spend some time thinking about having a bigger vision for our life, we'll end up being, the word says, tossed back and forth by every women teaching. Infants, no, no maturity, no direction, no purpose, no ultimate transformation because we're so busy chasing the latest, greatest thing. As a matter of fact, I was talking this week to our FPU consultant guy, because we're going to start FPU, Financial Peace University, in a couple weeks. I would encourage you, if you're not taking it, to take it. Nate and Emily are leading it. They would love to have you sign up. Huh? Nate and Brittany, I'm so sorry. Yeah, Brittany, I threw a pin at back there, and Nate, I, that Emily comes off the tongue like that, and I'm sorry. And Emily's not leading it. <laughs> Ask her why she can't lead that class. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. And so, um, but it's coming up, but, it, but I was talking to him, and it's like you have to have a long-term uh, vision for your life, or, or you're not going to apply it. It has to be an enduring thing, right? Um, and so uh, that's the, one of those things we have to get in, in place. Who do you want to be in five years? By the way, if, if you're afraid right now, you're freaking out, you're like, man, why do you, I don't want to write down who I'm going to be in five years. Don't freak out. Because I'm going to tell you, when you leave here, you can throw the card in the trash, you can burn it, you can shred it. I don't care what you do with it. But it's about the exercise of even considering it, bringing it to mind. 
that there's something bigger than the next thing. See, I started to tell you, I was talking to an FPU guy, and I said, um, do you have any discounts right now? And he said, not this time of the year, because everyone wants financial peace right now. He said, in May, we have discounts, because we can't sell product in May. But in January, no, us and Ginny Craig, we're covered. <laughs> That's what he said to me. We're, we're fine. We're, we're, we're raking in the cash right now. See, there's seasons of things when we're ripe for change. We're ready to change. But it's the consideration of something longer before we just chase the latest fad, the latest thing. I want you to think about the card, where I would like to be in five years, and maybe give you some kind of context to consider. Um, maybe where you want to be in work, in your job, or in your career, or in your calling in five years. Where, where, would, where would you like to maybe be? Or where would you like to be in your family? Maybe that's you know, like, well, I don't have a family. Yeah, you do. You were born in a family or you're adopted in a family. You've got people who love you. Where would you like to be in your family? Maybe you're in a marriage. Where would you like to be in your marriage? Maybe you're parenting. Where would you like to be as a parent? Maybe your grandparents, great-grandparents. Where do you want to be in five years in those roles? Maybe for some of you, you want to be a parent in five years or a grandparent in five years. Maybe. What, what, what does your card look like? And, and one other area of life is where do you want your face to be in five years? Do you want it to be like it is today? Or do you want to lean into something and say, I want five years, man, I want something, I want something different. I want something better. One of my favorite things to do um, is I get a couple kind of high privileges in pastoral ministry that I'm utterly unqualified for but completely love doing, and it's uh, marriages and funerals. Those are two times where I'm really invited in in places I'm not normally invited into, and I get to kind of serve and love people there. And whenever, um, the only requirement I have if I'm going to marry somebody is I require premarital counseling. And that's not because I'm really good at premarital counseling. I promise you that. It's because it's important before you enter a commitment to think about where you want to go, to think about what you're trying to do. As a matter of fact, my favorite question in premarital counseling to ask a young couple is, where are you going to live in five years? And they're usually like, I know, five years, no problem. We're going to live here. Okay, where are you going to live in 10 years? There's a little bit of a pause. They look at each other. Uh, ten, 10 years, oh yeah, da, 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 what? And they, huh? Huh? Okay, yeah, 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 10 years. Where are you going to live in 30 years? 30 years? They're 24, 25, 26 years old. 30 years? I start doing math, you'll be 56. I'm going to be 56? What? That's not going to happen. I'm like, yeah, if you're blessed, it will. You're going to make it to 56. Where do you want to live? Well, we haven't talked about 56. Why not? See, it's a fun exercise because it gets you to think about, man, this is a long-term commitment. I'm making a promise today that I'm going to hopefully keep when I'm very old. It's not about now because we're in love, right? The, the, the skies are open. The way is paved. I caught the girl. You know what I mean? She said, yes, what? Quick, marry that girl before she changes her mind. But after 30 years, what are you doing? Where are you at? Do you have a long-term vision for your relationships? It's important as you go into those things. One of the ways this series is a bit unique is I've been thinking about my own journey and what I've been doing, and this isn't because I've done this great at all, but it's always in hindsight, I think, that we learn things, right? In the moment, we don't always recognize it. But I want to tell you three quick stories, and we're going to get into some scripture today. And the first is this. It's so funny, but I was 13 years old, and I was born and raised Roman Catholic. And uh, at, at, in our church, we had um, donut Sundays, 
It was like one Sunday a month, the first Sunday of the month. It was donut Sundays. And you got to run from services to the fellowship hall for donuts. And we ran because the good donuts went first. Long John, cream filled. Anybody with me? Cream filled Long John's? Yes. You got to run fast to get them, man. There's like four in the box. <laughs> you know, that was my only athletic event when I was a kid. <laughs> get to the Long John's. <laughs> get one on the plate. Don't be greedy. Okay, that's it. I was sitting there one Sunday, and the priest came over to me, and he sat down with me, 13 years old, no lie, and he said, hey, how's the donut? I'm like, delicious. Victory. I tasted it, you know. And he says, um, I want to ask you a question. Did you ever think about becoming a priest? And I went, no. I'm eating my donut. I didn't stop eating a donut. I'm eating a donut. I'm like, what? And he says, yeah, I've been thinking maybe. I said, well, what's involved with being a priest? He says, you have to take a vow of poverty. I'm like, no problem, vow of poverty. Check. I'm poor now, so I'll be poor later. Sure, why not, you know? You have to be celibate. And I go, what's celibate? And he goes, you can't have a wife. And I'm like, I'm out. I said it, 13, I'm out. If you saw me, I couldn't decide what I wanted for lunch. But when the priest said, do I want to be a priest, and I had to be celibate, I said, I'm out. And you might go, well, yeah, you were 13. I get it. No, you don't. Because for some reason, and this is in hindsight, not in the moment, I had no recognition, but in hindsight, I look back, and I knew at 13, I wanted to be a dad. 13. I can't. Jesus is great. I can't. There's a little follow-up story, but I, I shouldn't tell you, but I'm going to. So later, I find that same priest. I'm a pastor. I get to preach the gospel, and I get to have kids. I'm so excited, right? And, and I, I, he's coming back to town. I'm like, I can't wait to tell him. And I go up, and I tell him, like, you're not going to believe what God did in my life. And he goes, <laughs> I don't think he's super excited. I'm not a Roman Catholic priest, but I'm a father and a pastor and a preacher. But praise God. What is that? It's having a longer-term view of my life. I could have gone along to get along. I could have said, yeah, I'll try it. I'll sign up. Sure. No. No, I'm out. Clarity and thinking. That's not me, by the way, church. That's something that God was doing in my heart. How about this? Uh, whenever my bride and I got married, <laughs> I told her we were young and she's beautiful. And I told her when she's young and beautiful, I said, I want to be old with you. She's like, whatever. I'm like, no, I want to be old on the porch in rocking chairs when we're wrinkly and ugly and crabby. She's like, whatever. I'm like, no, I'm serious. I can just see it on the porch, wore out, you know, the cats doing the little tail under the thing. I, I can't even have cats. I'm allergic. But anyway, it's my vision, right? It's a vision for the future. And I'm looking at it, and she's next to me. We're holding hands, and we are out of words. We got nothing else to say, and we're still married. And you go, what? I was 21. You know what that's done? It's let a lot of the stuff in the middle go. We're not there yet. This is pretty tough right now, but we're going over there. Get a long-term view of your life. Listen, I'm not saying that was my great wisdom. It was a blessing from God. It was his favor. Yet, even though I did not yet know him, he was giving me wisdom for a long-term view of my life. One final quick story. I became a believer at 30 years old, a believer in Jesus Christ. I came to realize he died for my sins, and I started hanging out with church people, Christians, and whenever I was an atheist, I couldn't stand Christians, right? But then all of a sudden, I got it. It's like we we're having the same language, and guess what happened? I started hanging out in a church, like Family Bible Church, and I started seeing people around me that I'm like, oh, there it is. That's how I want to be. 
remember one time I was at a, um, a Good Friday service at First Congregational Church, and my pastor came out, and I was, in the, I was out sitting with my wife, and he came and he said, hey, Bill, you want to join the pastors in the back? I wasn't, I wasn't going into ministry. I wasn't in school to be a pastor. He just invited me. I'm like, yeah, sure. I sat next to this old dude, this old dude. All these other young pastors are like mid-40s, you know, 50s, something like that, and they're all like moving and shaking and making deals. You, know, you can see him like, my church is growing. My church is teaching this, my church, and there's this old guy on the couch. And I just sat next to him because I feel like I'm an idiot in the room. I don't know why I'm there. You know, I just sat down. <laughs> I shouldn't even be here right now, right? And I'm like on the couch. And, and all of a sudden, they go, hey, we, uh, you know, Pastor, do you want to read this scripture? He's like, I'd love to. And he flips his Bible open like this. And he's like, and he looks at the words and he goes, isn't that something? I was like, what? And he goes, isn't that something? What it says right there. And I went, I want to be that guy. <laughs> I want to be the guy who's a retired pastor who's 83 years old, who can't stand in the room, has nothing to brag about, and goes, wow, look at what it says right there about our God. I would be honored to read that. It's those moments that we get of a long-term vision. Listen, this isn't about my life. It's about yours. I want you to start getting a long-term vision of who you want to be. I want to talk about that today and maybe, you know, some ways that you can start to look toward things you want to become instead of just chasing the latest fad. What do you think the problems could be with do before who? We're actually going to talk about that. This is in uh, Romans chapter 7. If you brought a Bible, it's going to be on page uh, 780, no, if you, if you brought a Bible, you know where it's at. If you, if you use one of our Bibles, the orange Bibles, it's going to be 786. 786. Romans 7, 15 through 25. We're going to just talk about a few of these verses in here. But this is what the problems could be when you try do before who. You're going to just do some things before you know who you are. So Romans 7, 15. Paul writes this. I do not understand what I do, because what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Here's the first problem with doing before knowing who you want to be. You don't even know why you're doing it half the time. When Paul says, I don't know, uh, I'm going to go back to that real quick. When Paul says, I don't know uh, what I want to do, I don't understand what to do, like, he's like, I don't even get me. I don't even understand me. The word there means an awareness or an understanding of why you are where you are. And much of our lives, we can get so caught up in the doing, in the living, that we don't even think, well, how did I end up here? Who caused this mess? Chris and I like to say often, we did. <laughs> you have to come to an awareness that it's our fault that we are where we are in many ways. We, we've done something to get here. There's the great Jimmy Buffett song, Margaritaville. It's a song of progressive realization of responsibility. If you ever listen to that song, listen to it next time. It's about him finally says, what did he say at the end? It is my fault. That's what he says at the end, because there's something you've done to get there. Paul says, I don't even understand. Not only that, but Paul says that I don't do the things I want to do, but this is what's really radical. He says, and I do the very things that I hate. The very things that I don't want to do is too weak. He says, I hate that thing that I do and yet I keep on doing it. The idea of hate here is like a second choice. This is a funny interpretation of hate, because I had not thought about it before, but I don't know if you ever did pick up basketball games when you were a kid, or pick up dodgeball games, or pick up, um, dodgeball's my favorite, by the way, the wall. We had a wall of death out in the playground when I was a kid, and they had those really crazy playground, 
playground balls that would like bong, make your head go woo, resonate when you got hit with them. You guys know what I'm talking about? You, you folks might, you know, the young folks got gator balls. Gator balls, please. Get hit in the face with a yard ball, man. It like messed you up for days, right? And you're not out because the headshot doesn't count. So they get to throw at you more. Have you ever been in a pickup game like that, though? And people pick something else besides you, someone else besides you, and they go down the line. Okay, disclosure here. And then there's two of you standing there. This might have happened. This might be first-hand experience. I'm not saying for sure that it is. And they look at you and this other sorry, sorry, non-athletic human being who cannot possibly, worse, cannot possibly be worse than you or better than you. That's what I'm thinking. And then they go, uh, that guy. See, that's what Paul says. I, 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 pick the, I, I, I do the things that I want last, the, the thing I hate, the thing I don't want on my team. I keep doing that thing. And I don't do all the things that came before it, all the things that I want in this life. It's making it a second choice. It, it's, it's demoting, devaluing it. And here's the trouble. I'm just going to spoil it a little bit for you. Often that last thing to be picked on the pickup basketball team, that last thing is Christ, is God, is a relationship with him, is knowledge of him. And we pick it very last. We'll try everything else first but that. I don't want that on my team. It seems intrusive. And so Paul says, I keep doing the things that I don't want to do, and I'm passing all the things that I want. So, so Paul says, there's a real struggle in our lives, and here's the struggle. Um, it's knowing right versus doing right. He says, I know the things I ought to do, but I don't do them. And the very things that I hate, I continue to do. I don't understand myself. To press on a little further, in verse 18, this is what the word says, um, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature, because I have a desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. See, I know, but I'm not doing it. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I continually do. Paul says, I realize that good does not dwell inside of us. I wonder, have you ever heard someone, I heard someone say this week these words, human beings are fundamentally good. That they're born a blank slate, and if you just live it out, it'll be, you know, unicorns and rainbows. No evil, no, everything's going to go perfectly well if we just leave kids alone. And I tell you what, church, people love to hear that message. They love to hear that, yes, we can figure this out. If we were in charge, it would be right. But the problem is history does not report these facts. I think about a bit longer view of history, like there was a couple of world wars. As a matter of fact, some people freaked out. We were about to get into another one, we thought. Like, ah, World War III. Is there some external cause of this? Isn't this people in charge causing this to happen? Or you say, well, children are different. Children are different. Well, you say that until you've parented children. Because <laughs> children are crazy. Like, you seen Lord of the Flies, that movie? Like, you put them on an island, they're going to kill each other. It's not going to take, it won't even be before lunch. Like, before lunch, they're going to have, have, like, a, a session. I told you about my dodgeball experiences. Come on. It's not hard to imagine a world where evil reigns. You see, Paul says that the, the good does not dwell in us. He knows this for a fact. And that's antithetical to anyone who would say we're fundamentally good but Paul does say this, I have a desire to do good, but I can't carry it out. We know the ought, but we can't. And what does Paul keep doing? He keeps doing evil. And then this kind of leads Paul then to a conclusion here in these verses, and it comes at verse 24. 
And this is what the word says. And I love how Paul, Paul kind of breaks this. I'm going to read it and I'm going to talk through it. What a wretched man I am. This is Paul's summation of what he's thought about here. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Right? So Paul says he gets himself talked into an absolute fit about what his situation is, the evil he continues to do. He hates doing the things he's doing, and he can't change. And he's like, fundamentally, I'm flawed. He has a conclusion. I'm in big trouble. I'm a wretched man. He's like, we're doomed. We're all doomed. That's his conclusion. And then he asks a bold question. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Or who will save us from this mess? Like, I don't know if you've ever felt that in your life. Like, we are doomed. This is not going well. This is not going to plan. I was in charge, and it's a mess. And in that moment, Paul asks a bold question. After all the doing, who will rescue us? Who will save us? And if it ended there, it would be such a sad letter to the Romans, right? If that's all he wrote, he'd be like, oh, we're doomed, and who's going to save us? And then wait, that'd be very prophetic, actually, of Paul. But then he adds that, his answer, his conclusion. He says, but thanks be to God who delivers me, Paul, through Christ Jesus, our Lord. He says, thank God for Jesus. This is one of those lessons in life as believers. As a non-believer, you come to it for the first time, but as believers, you come to it again and again and again. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God I'm not left to my own devices. Thank God he is with us. And Paul says, thank God for our Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, because he's rescued me from this body of sin and suffering. Do you think Paul really had life crises? Uh, Do you think he really had goals that he had set and he failed to achieve? Do you think he had spiritual things that he couldn't get to? Because I think we can read this and we go, not really. It's Paul. Paul did everything right. I mean, Paul didn't make any mistakes. But we have to take him at his word here where he says, no, I'm a wretched man. I'm doomed. But praise God for Christ. And this becomes the God-exalting, God-honoring testimony of the Apostle Paul. It's not me. It's God. I'm not good enough. He is. I didn't figure it out. He saved me. He's my rescuer. This is the great Apostle Paul. We name churches after him. We call him a saint. And he's like, my life's a mess were it not for Jesus Christ. See, the greatest thing is that Paul recognized his own need for Jesus. He needed Jesus himself. He needed Jesus first in his life. See, here's the funny thing, by the way, about being a Christian. is It's a long-term concept. And you can fake being a Christian for a little while of your own strength. You can kind of muster and, I'm going to do it. I'm going to pretend. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to make it right. I'm going to act right. But man, until you can't do it anymore. And then you're like human like the rest of us. And then you need a God who's going to save you from your body of sin and brokenness. There's this great verse in Galatians, and it says this, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I've told some of you all before that was on my kitchen counter. A friend of mine gave it to us, and we, I used to look at it and I wash my hands. I'm like, that's so good. But one time I was out to lunch with a friend, or breakfast with a friend, and he said, isn't that verse something? He's a friend I respect. I want to kind of be like him. I'd want to be like him. And I said, what do you mean? He says, that seems to imply that we can become tired of doing good. Let us not grow weary in doing good. Why would it be written down if you don't get weary from doing good? I'm just tired of doing the right thing. I'm tired of doing it right. And he says, let us not grow weary in doing good. What, though? 
because we will reap a harvest of righteousness. What if we don't give up? What does it take to not give up in life? A long-term vision, a big picture, a place you're going. Yeah, it's hard right now, but we're going over there. Yeah, things haven't gone to plan now, but we're going over there. Yeah, I don't have all the answers right now, but I'm going over there. You see, you don't give up. You reap a harvest in due time. Paul had been writing all this stuff in seven to the church that he had just written, chapter six to, right? It was part of the letter. And I'm gonna turn there, um, Romans six, six and seven. Uh, Depending on your Bible, it might be back one page. It might be on the same page. And this is what the word says. For we know that our old self was crucified with Christ Jesus so that the body of sin might be done away with or might lose its power. Now that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died is free from sin. And so Paul says, we know we have new life in Christ. We know we've died with him. And we know because of that, we're not slaves to sin any longer. In fact, the word says this, if you know Christ, you're free from sin. You don't have to go back to the thing you hate over and over again. You don't have to return. I want to remind you that Paul wrote what we read in 7 after he wrote this in 6. What gives him that choice? It's knowing the gospel. I don't have to be a slave anymore. I don't have to surrender anymore. I don't have to chase after the whims anymore because I know a God who saves me. Just to put a really fine point on it then, in 6.18, Paul wraps it up, summarizes it like this. You, you, listen to me, you have been set free from sin. You have. He's writing to the church. That means if I believe, I have. That means not only are we forgiven of our sin, this is a thing, not only in the gospel, not only in the cross, we're forgiven of our sin that we committed in the past. Not only does he forgive us for the sin we're going to commit in the future, but what it means is, in fact, we are free to flee sin. (laughs) We don't have to be under his power anymore. We don't have to be under his judgment. We don't have to listen to that voice that condemns us any longer because we're free from sin. He didn't say you're forgiven sin, but you sit in it until Jesus comes back. He says, no, you're, you're forgiven your sin and you're free from it. How crazy would it be if you were a prisoner in prison and someone opened the door and said, you're free to go, and you're like, I'm gonna stay right here. Thanks, but no thanks. Why? Get free from sin. And I wanna say today very plainly, maybe you're here and you've never heard this before. And you're like, man, I'm doing the best I can, all my ability, working on it, making the right decisions, making moves, you know? I get it. I've never been that guy. But I want you to know that there's a God who made you, who knows all your moves, who knows all the games, and he's just wanting to save you. He's like, oh, it's like watching a mouse in a maze. That's a dead end. Oh, that's a dead end. Oh, (laughs) you know what I mean? Who moved the cheese? Like, God is the cheese. Come to me. Come to me. Do you turn? Do you return? Do you just go, yeah, I'm tired of trying to do it my way. I'm tired of, I know I'm a sinner. I know fundamentally. And I'm not trying to talk you into that. If you think you're fundamentally good, fair enough. I'd love to talk to you. I know I'm not. Oh, I need a savior. If you don't know that today, that Christ died to forgive your sins and has set you free from sin, I want you to consider following Jesus in your life. Just believing that simple truth 
You can pray that, and I'm not going to talk you into praying a prayer, but I want you to know a prayer you can pray. Is You can pray that prayer. God, I don't even understand any of this stuff, but I know I am stuck in my sin, and would you help me get free of my sin? I, I, I've heard the message about Jesus. I don't understand it fully, but I'm willing to try because all my stuff ain't working. And God, I'll come to you, and I want to submit to you, and I'm going to follow you. Would you lead me? Would you teach me in my life? I promise you, God answers those prayers. But he won't force his way in there, and, and if you're like, I got it, I'm good, then let this be a nugget for the future. When you're not, I'd encourage you to say, God, I need you right now. I need you right now. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. I don't know where you see yourself. I want you to look at your note card. Where do you see yourself in five years? I want to ask a loaded question. Do you see yourself like committed to Jesus and believing the gospel more and more? Hey, I want to ask you this. How about in 10 years? How about in 10 years? Do you see yourself deeper in the faith, believing more in you know, just following after him? 30? 30? Some of you all, humor, you're like, I'll be dead in 30. Okay, how about forever? How about you and Jesus forever? How's that card look? Are you following? Are you going to follow him? That's my plan. I, I got to go to a, uh, a friend's funeral and funerals are great if you don't ever, you know, if you get, to, just pay attention what's happening in the funeral. Man, this is the moment. I'm following, I'm, I'm believing in Jesus. This is the moment. Can I say something real quick, personally? Um, man, I'm just going to say this in front of all you, and if I'm, <laughs> if I'm a family Bible church when I die, <laughs> I hope maybe soon, maybe not, I don't know. It's not, 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 nothing I know of, but uh, I want to hear the church sing. I want the church to sing the songs of faith. I want to, to surround families with the words that have breathed life into us all this time. And I want people in the room who believe saying, yes, victory. Yes, faith fulfilled. Yes, good job. Awesome. Church. That's my heart. I was talking to a friend and I said, man, I want Family Bible, our little church here, to have a spot where we can have a funeral and we can worship God and say, Yes. I hope you're trusting in Jesus through death. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for your gift of life to us, the way you've saved us, the way we don't deserve it, but you've condescended to us. And Father, for all of us who have been such a kind of hypocrites and we've been self-involved and self-believing and self-pursuing, Father, I pray that we would lay that down and believe good news, that you've forgiven our sin and set us free from sin. And then, Father, for those of us who know you, that we would never be slow to return to your cross, never be slow to come back to you and say, yes, yes, Lord, I, I'm following you. Yes, I want to go deeper with you. May you be glorified. Lord, until we get the big things right in our life, we'll never get the small things right. I can think of nothing bigger than you, Jesus. Help us get it right. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So real quick, I know a bunch of you are like, awesome, he's done preaching. Ha, five quick tips. What does it really look like then to implement a long-term vision in our lives? I have five quick tips straight from Scripture. We're going to go really quickly through these. Here's the first. Nope, that's not it. There should be Corinthians. Do we have it? Can you push that up for me? Second Corinthians. Yeah. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds, and we take captive every thought. I want to give you five things here. There's going to be three in this verse and two from another verse in 1 Corinthians. I want you to kind of put, and you want to write them down. If you're taking notes, write these things down. Five things that you can, practical steps. The first is, we don't fight like the world. 
I don't care if you're, you're hoping to get in shape, you're hoping to lose weight, you're hoping to do your... You don't fight like the world fights. That's the first thing he says. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. The second thing is this. Um, our weapons have divine power. I just told you the gospel frees you from sin, but let me tell you this. God is in your life active, and if in the moment, in the struggle, in the battle, you don't know you have an arsenal, a weapon that is divine power, you're not fully living out your Christianity. And so I would encourage you to know that there's divine power in the arsenal that God has given you to fight the fights you're in. I want to say explicitly, what's the divine power? I would say hold the Holy Spirit of God. In the moment of trouble, in the moment of difficulty, the Holy Spirit will be with you. Invite him in, in the moment. God, I'm struggling right now. I need your help right now. Holy Spirit, teach me right now. Divine power comes in, helps you fight the fight. The third thing, we take every thought captive. That means that when your mind begins to to deceive you, you take it captive. You're like, nope, I'm not going over there. I'm going over here. I've already decided. Some of the folks who wrote back to me said, making a decision is the most important thing you can do to change your life. You make a decision to change. That's the first thing. And so you're taking everything out captive. Now, 1 Corinthians 4, or 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, uh, 10 says this. So whatever you eat or whatever you drink or whatever you do, here it is, the first, the fourth tip, do it all for the glory of God. That's our primary call. We're, we're glorifying God in our lives. Not seeking my own good, but seeking the good of many so that they may be saved. And here's the last thing. So the fourth is that we glorify God in our lives. God made you. He knows you. And the way you live your life out is glorifying to him. That's your intended purpose in this world is to glorify God by being who you are. You know what I can't be? I can't be who you are. Only you can be who you are. But here's the fifth, that we follow examples and we are examples. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow me as I follow Christ, right? And so there's two things happening at once. I want you to look in your life, and I don't know if it's in family, in marriage, in your faith life, in your work. I want you to look at someone that you go, that guy, that girl, that person, that family. And I want you to think about that intentionally and say, how am I going to be that person? How am I going to become more like that person? Because that gives you the roadmap to where you're going to go, right? And then know this. You might not believe it, but you are an example to people around you. There's always people watching, watching what you're doing. Listen to me, watching what you believe for their own discernment, their own decision-making. Listen, I'm so encouraged, but I pray that you and I are godly examples of what it means to follow Christ.